Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the new statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the film Phantom Thread and the TV series The End of the Effing World. We've also watched the Welsh language drama Craith or Hidden for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. Is this the first one since our first books podcast? It is indeed, yeah. So thank you to everybody who read our January book and who got in touch to tell us that you enjoyed it and so on. We'll be repeating the format at the end of this month with our February book, which is going to be The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which this is one I'm super excited about. I've been boring Anna about it for like literal months. (laughs) Yeah, so do grab a copy to that. I've put the links and stuff in the show notes. And yeah, start letting us know how you get on. Um, We're using the hashtag SeriouslyBookClub. Tell us what you think and we'll be talking about it in the last episode of the month. I'm so excited. I'm really, really looking forward to this book. So it should be great fun. Yeah, it's I think just to give you a slight teaser, people... I think this book has been described as Agatha Christie meets Gosford Park via Inception. Okay. (laughs) If that gives you a bit of a pop culture frame for it. Brilliant. It sounds absolutely bizarre. The author, Stuart, is an absolutely massive Agatha Christie fan. Like, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who has such, like, depth of knowledge about it. Well, that's great in our book, so... Definitely good recommendation. Mm The other thing that I want to tell listeners about before we get started is we're doing a little cross-promo arrangement with a podcast called The Gender Knot this week. It's presented by Naz, who is a BBC World Service journalist, who I rate very much. She's really good. And the podcast is about kind of every aspect of gender. So economics, education, society, all that kind of thing. They tackle some really big questions in a way that I would probably be too much of a wimp to do. Mm. Like they've had recent episodes just called Can Men Fail? And can we get self-worth from sex? You know, they really do go in on the big stuff. But it's a really, really well-produced show. And I think they they sort of explore in more depth a lot of the things that you and I kind of touch mm. on 
as we're talking about various films and TV series. So yeah, I think listeners would enjoy it. So go over and check it out. Their website is thegendernot.com or you can find it in iTunes and all the other usual places. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Great. Rolling on with today's episode of Seriously, the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Phantom Thread. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, it stars Daniel Day-Lewis as a 1950s London fashion designer called Reynolds Woodcock. A master of his craft, he's also a controlling and destructive personality. His sister Cyril, played by Leslie Manville, runs his business and the practicalities of his day-to-day life until he meets Alma, a waitress played by Vicky Creeps. Alma becomes his muse, his assistant, and eventually his mistress, and her turbulent relationship with Woodcock takes some surprising twists and turns. It's basically a really, really kind of creepy, tense um, film that's also extremely funny, which mm. I I don't know if I was expecting that so much going in, but yes, it's basically all set, set around this design house. Reynolds Woodcock is just so obsessed with getting all these dresses to be perfect, and he's very much the kind of stereotype of the of the male um, workaholic genius. And he's surrounded by all these female seamstresses who are kind of doing his bidding all day long, and then. When he's off in the countryside, he he bumps into Alma and kind of takes her on as his muse. And we get the feeling that he's done this several times before, but there's something different about Alma that just kind of makes her stick around a bit longer than all the others, right? Yeah, it's a strange juxtaposition of a film in several ways. Because, yeah, as you say, it is surprisingly funny. It's also absolutely gorgeous. Like, if you were just going to look at it, without hearing any dialogue or any sound you'd say oh this is an amazing period piece like look at the incredible details in the costumes and the locations and all that kind of thing you would expect it to have a maybe slightly twee 1950s pop inspired soundtrack and for everyone to like kiss at the end if you were just looking at it but it has instead it has this amazing sort of spooky tense classical score by Johnny Greenwood which gives it almost the sound sometimes of like a thriller mm. and at times it makes your heart race like that you know what's she gonna do how is she gonna get out of this you know that kind of thing but then yeah at the same time it is a film about art and artistry and being creative mm. and yeah the intersection of creativity and the male ego and all that kind of thing so yeah it's a it's a contradictory mass of different things which is interesting but then also I've heard really contradictory reviews of this like I heard someone reviewing it on Front Row who was absolutely adamant that this film is all about the women and the sort of the the female actresses portrayals in this film so particularly Alma and Cyril as this sort of two sides of Woodcock's life that they were the centre of the film and they were everything and then I've read other reviews that are just like this is Daniel Day-Lewis's swan song it is all about him without him the film would be nothing so it seems to strike different people in completely different ways it's an interesting yeah tension because I think I can kind of see it from both sides I think it's reductive to say that this film is all about the women because when you've got Mm. a central performance as charismatic and as funny and as dominating as Daniel Day-Lewis in this film it's kind of silly to say, oh yeah, but it's not his film because it's an incredible performance and it's such a it's such a kind of compelling role whether you like 
find him charismatic or whether you think he's absolutely pathetic and awful Mm. and poisonous which he kind of is <laughs> it's kind of all yeah. those things at once which is why it's such an interesting performance but it is all about power and it is all about the kind of power dynamics between Reynolds and his sister Cyril and his his you know partner Alma and so because it is about how they kind of um almost manage up like he's obviously the the dominating presence in the home he has to feel like he's in the position of power but they're doing a lot of micromanaging of him behind closed doors and and when it comes down to it towards the end you get the sense that actually these two in their own ways are in in the main positions of power in the house and so I like that about this film I like that it plays games with you as the audience I like that you get kind of brought into these very claustrophobic arguments and and power dynamics between these these three people and i think i've seen lots of stuff kind of arguing that this is somehow an anti-feminist film because it features a misogynist so prominently which for me is like totally bollocks because it's all about the way misogyny functions um and all about yeah the the gender dynamics between the men and the women which is what makes it so interesting and uh, yeah amazing to watch yeah and as you're saying the fact that it focuses in on the relationship with Alma, whereas at the very beginning of the film, we see what was, I think, supposed to assume is like one of her predecessors who is eating breakfast with Woodcock and with Reynolds and Cyril, but obviously driving them both mad. And there's nothing explicitly said, but Cyril basically says, why don't you go down to the country a day early in a kind of, and I'll get rid of her while you're gone Mm. kind of way. But then Alma complete, completely by chance meets him in a restaurant and by stages falls into that same role. But yeah, as you say, somehow she's different. And I think the difference is that she is very conscious and very active. Like she's not the kind of classic mistress, like sitting around waiting for the man to love her. Mm. She's going to make him love her and she's going to make him give her status Mm. and give her a role and so on so that she therefore cannot be evicted yeah which is really interesting it's a funny film to say like spoiler warnings for because when I went to see it I was not expecting there to be anything that could be spoiled but I do think there is so if you are going to see it I think switch off after this point because I do want to discuss like what Alma does later on yeah um and it's probably best if you see that for the first time in the cinema totally there is sort of a twist so don't keep listening if you haven't seen the film but yeah so she after feeling like she's being edged out for a while and feel you know there's this really tense and I found quite horrible scene where they're eating breakfast again and she's just eating toast and everything she does is ridiculously loud (laughs) um and he's just completely on edge and basically like i cannot have this noise i cannot have this kind of thing really early in the morning literally all she's doing is buttering toast and then eating it but it's you know the sound is dialed up so that you the audience feel like it's really tense and really loud and that maybe he's got a point she is being ridiculously loud but obviously he doesn't have a point yeah and after that you get the sense that she feels like oh i've got to do something because this is i think this is going one particular way that I don't like Mm. so she tries to make him a special she deviates from the routine and she tries to make him a special dinner that they just have one-on-one so they're not constantly surrounded by 
Cyril and the other employees, that goes really badly. And so as a result, she decides, I need to take power here. I need to have him be vulnerable and weak and me be the one who restores him to strength. So she poisons him with mushrooms Mm. that she finds in the wood when they're at their country house. And indeed, he does get really sick. And she is the one that soothes him and nurses him back to health. And he has a really surprising reaction Mm. to that reversal. Yeah, it's kind of very like BDSM, like, you know, submissive dominant power dynamics that are kind of sexual. And he really does enjoy kind of being almost like infantilized. Well, yeah, infantilized. Mm. He likes kind of returning to that state of like being a baby, basically. And she just mothers him. He's got a very complicated relationship with his dead mother. And um, I think he just, yeah, really likes being back in, in that position. So kind of you think subconsciously enjoys it. And then as it goes on, you realize that maybe he's more aware of what's happening than he's letting on Mm. and he's actually quite consciously aware of the dynamic and quite happy for it to carry on in that way and then you do sort of finally i think get basically confirmation of that when because the him being sick sort of resets things uh he proposes they get married everything's really happy and then it kind of all goes a bit wrong again when she wants to go to a party that he doesn't want to go to and he gets really upset by how she behaves and all the rest of it so she does it again but this time she does it really explicitly that she doesn't crumble up the mushrooms in his tea she makes him a mushroom omelette and serves it to him and honestly the tensest chewing i've ever seen anybody do like he puts one mouthful of omelette in his mouth and he chews it forever like making eye contact with her um and over the course of the chewing you're like oh shit he knows he knows he knows he's just eaten something poisonous and she knows he did it and then he swallows and he goes you should kiss me before I'm sick. Yeah. And, the, and in that... It's so funny, isn't it? I think that's what's so clever about this film is that all those tensions, as we describe them, the tense dynamics at play sound very claustrophobic and on one level they mm. are, but on, the, on another level, it's just really funny to, to watch that yeah. and have an awareness of how they're playing off each other. The argument where they're at the dinner table where he's sort of saying, have you come here to ruin my life? Is that why you're here? You're mm. here to ruin my life? It's like absolutely hideous and yeah, horrible. Yeah, he's like, have you got a gun? Show me your gun. Yeah. Where's your gun? <laughs> where have you yeah. come from? What exactly is the nature of my game? And he's yeah. so horrible to argue with, but it's just so, so funny as well and there's loads of like really brilliant comic moments like um you know cyril says that people want chic dresses and he just starts going chic whoever invented that ought to be spanked in public i don't know what that filthy little word means fucking chic and just like goes on a total rant about it and it's absolutely hysterical and yeah even those final scenes between them are, are, are kind of really funny even as you're like what the is going on but I really also liked, there's quite a clever thing where they do this argument she, they have about the, the the dance, her wanting to go to this party. You see it happen and he is she just disappears in a strop and he's absolutely livid. He's outraged and he like follows her all the way there, finds her at the party, just like grabs her wrist and drags her across the floor. And then that's all you see and it cuts out and you're, you're like, God, it must be awful to be married to this man who just will like chase you down if you leave the house and drag you home by your wrist. This mm. is horrific. And then after we see the poisoning at the end, you just get a shot back of the party and he's actually dragged her onto the dance floor and they've had a little dance. And you're yeah. like, oh shit, she actually has way more power than you realise the whole time. Mm. Because even in that moment where he's like absolutely furious, he goes there 
not to like drag her home but to just like give her what he wants give her what she wants for like 10 minutes and then go home again (laughs) um so I really like I just thought it was so clever and I loved I mean we've been talking about it for a while now but I loved all the stuff with food and sex yes because I remember there's another film this year that is all about sex and desire that I left feeling like like hungry for food um Mm. and that was call me by your name yes exactly and I had the same thing with this film where obviously you're watching him eat poisonous mushrooms so it shouldn't be um I really wanted an (laughs) omelette yeah but I wanted an (laughs) omelette but there's so much food in it so when they first meet she she he makes this incredibly Mm. long massive order you know where he for the hungry boy yeah and she writes on a piece of paper for the hungry boy and then I think the final word of the film is and I'm hungry and it's all about that hunger, you know, he's got a great, all this hunger to be an amazing artist, but also it kind of comes out in this physical and sexual hunger as well. And I just thought it was amazing how the power dynamics played out over food the whole time. Like she gives him all that food at the beginning and watches him sort of eat it. And then she's always giving him food throughout the movie. Like when she cooks the dinner meal for him, when she cooks the poisoned omelets for him. And there's always a kind of weird power dynamic going on. And and it's it's just I love that kind of playing out of sex through food mm. and you, there's similar stuff happening all the time with the clothes making the dressmaking where he's like you know telling her she's got no tits and stuff but still making her these very like beautiful dresses and that it's all power play in in the details which is what makes it so fun yeah the dressmaking is absolutely gorgeous the costumes are amazing and there's a sort of subtlety to it that I didn't appreciate when I watched it but I read about it afterwards that part of his big rant about the word chic is apparently connected to something that was happening in like London dressmaking at that time in the 50s when this whole idea of like the new look yeah uh, sort of the Dior big wide flamboyant 50s circle skirt shape that we're really familiar with was just coming in in Paris and it was Uh, you know taking the fashion world by storm and sort of superseding the very slim contained more like quote british uh designs of the 1940s of which woodcock is the master he's the one everyone comes to for that so there's just a couple of hints in it where like you know a favored client hasn't been to see him for a while and he's really cross and it's because she's been somewhere else where presumably they are less opposed to the word chic and all things new and Parisian and so on. So there is a little bit of a sense that he's losing his grip on Mm. his power in his career because he's being, you know, he's older and he's being like out-designed by younger people. Mm. Um, So I found that really interesting. But oh my God, yeah, just the clothes, the details and the way they're filmed and everything is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a really brilliant film. I can't recommend it enough. Go and see it. It's bizarre and wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. 
It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now we're going to talk about the end of the effing world which is a Channel 4 dark comedy based on the graphic novel of the same name. It stars Alex Lawther as James, a 17-year-old who thinks he's a psychopath, and Jessica Barden as Alyssa, his rebellious classmate. They run away from home together after they commit a murder and end up on the run across the country. Yeah, so the the kind of very dark premise of this is that James is a self-diagnosed psychopath who's killed like butterflies and a neighbour's cat... And he sort of goes, oh, yeah, it probably had a name, but very emotionlessly about his neighbor's mm. cat. And he wants to graduate into murdering people. And he meets Alyssa and he thinks that he, quote, she'd be interesting to kill. So it's kind of a horrible <laughs> yeah. um, serial killer, male violence against women premise. Inconveniently for, for James, Alyssa is uh, kind of less of a victim than he'd like her to be and kind of just ends up um, persuading James to punch his dad, steal his dad's car and drive her away on a road trip. Um, and as their road trip goes on, he beca- he becomes less and less interested in, in murdering her. Mm. And it's kind of a romance um, that blossoms between them, which sounds deeply problematic, I think, <laughs> to, I'm sure to all listeners who haven't seen it. But it does just work, I think, <sighs> I think one of the ways it works is that you never think James is really serious about trying to to kill Alyssa. It never it never seems like it's something that's ever going to happen. And no. secondly, he's kind of never really let off the hook for it as a result. It kind of kind of hangs over him the entire time. It's not something that just kind of like gets put in the background as like, "Oh yeah, that was a funny way for them to meet." It's um kind of yeah, hangs over all their dealings together. So I absolutely love this. I think it's so, so weird and so brilliant. Um, And I think it's kind of tonally the only thing I could really compare it to was Submarine, um, Mm, the Richard Ayoade film. Um, But it's kind of, it's even darker in its comedy. There's kind of a lot of strange, dark comedy in that film about like, you know, depression or marital affairs. But this is kind of more life and death dark humor um but it's yeah it's really funny yeah in in some small ways it reminded me a little bit of kick-ass um Mm. in the slightly like comic booky attitude to violence Uh, because kick-ass obviously had that like super heavy gory violent um aesthetic um you know sometimes in comic movies where it's so extreme that you just get completely desensitized to it Mm. and you start thinking it's really funny when someone's head flies off in a 
like massive pile of gore. Mm. It's a little bit like that. Some of the the scenes that are intercut of like suddenly James having a vision of like Alyssa bleeding to death on the floor mm. and stuff reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, but it's always in the fantasy zone. Oh yeah, it? it's never in reality. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also really liked how. I think this happens in the first episode where how it uses time in a slightly circular way where it like shows how James got to a particular moment where he meets Alyssa and then it shows how Alyssa got to this exact same moment yeah. and yeah. then it carries on from there. I really like it when shows do that, when they sort of subtly alter perspectives without being very explicit about like James's story. Yeah. You know? um, and also this, this show's very much not carried but like dominated by his monologue Mm. it's it's narrated by him and i have to say for the first episode i was convinced that it was ben wishaw doing the monologue oh Um, i don't know why (laughs) i think it's just the same actor is it not it's it is just the same actor but they've just got a really similar voice somehow um and then Alyssa also has her her own voiceover mm. doesn't she and it's kind of funny because you get so, for example, there'll be a moment where Alyssa's like looking in the mirror and she's like, oh, and her voiceover is like, I just feel really safe with him. And then you'll mm. like cut to James and he'll be like sharpening his knife furiously. <laughs> so you, it's kind of that. Yeah, the, they they play with the different perspectives quite um, jarringly, which is fun. And yeah, they just it just kind of becomes this weird, almost like Americana influenced road yeah. trip, I think, because the comic books are set in a, in america um they've kind of played with the fact that they've transposed it to basically a very bleak british see i think it's like eastern coast um sort of semi not seaside but ocean side like port side like if you've been places that have kind of ports but not really beaches yeah and and you know it's quite industrial and quite um bleak uh and i think to try and um yeah, to try, they kind of play around with that change in setting by having Alyssa say things like, "Oh, if we were, if we were, um, if this was a movie, we'd be American." She says at one point, and they go mm. to lots of like, ones called like the the greatest American diner in, you know, yes, in, in I like, love that scene. I can't remember in the county it, it's or something. Like one of the ten best American dining experiences in the south of England or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's like a TripAdvisor review, but they've written yeah. it out in a huge, like, um, sort of American font on the back of the menu. Yeah, and there's a real kind of country soundtrack, you know, like 1950s Brenda Lee vibes or whatever, um, which I, I really, really enjoyed. And even, like, the sets, like, the houses people live in, they all live in these kind of weird mid-century houses that have, mm. like, lots of wood inside, and it's just all slightly disorientating. We never actually know where it's set. They never say where it's set or where they're going or anything. So you quite, it's that sense of place is really kind of confusing and weird, and it kind of works with these confusing and weird, like, deadpan protagonists mm. and this kind of farcical plot because um, they are totally deadpan that is something that uh i i don't know i wasn't really expecting mm. i wasn't expecting him to be but they both are but he is particularly very like straight and almost never moves his face yeah although that does gradually warm up as you say as it sort of becomes a bit more of a romance when he realizes that actually he likes her more than he wants to kill her mm. um but yeah he he is very like stiff about the face and very 
sort of um, straight on. There's that really funny bit when they're first kissing um, and he's just like holding his face completely still yeah. <laughs> and like looking sideways and she's like snogging his face off. Yeah, that's um, really funny. Yeah, but it's kind of, as you say, it's kind of a romance, but it's always like, um, it's like a, a crime thriller in, in mm. tone a lot of the time. Basically, they end up breaking into this house in like the second or third episode, break into this guy's house um, to like stock up on food and supplies and stuff and they get drunk there and he's clearly on holiday, but then he comes back while they're still there and he's like a sexual, violent rapist and he's like seemingly raped and maybe even murdered all these women and he's got Polaroids of the of the mm. evidence of his crimes in his house um, and he attacks Alyssa and then James comes up behind him and basically slits his throat and they murder him. Uh, and so then they're always on, they're on the run from that point, yeah. trying to get away from this murder. And there's um, a kind of police detective um, plot line going on at the same time, um, which is kind of mixed for me, but the performances are really good. So it's, just gonna get their names up so it's Gemma Whelan who is in Game of Thrones um she she's you know the the sister of Theon in Game of Thrones and uh Wunmi Masaku who I've seen in quite a lot of stuff she's in Kiri um and mm. she always seems to play a concerned government official in absolutely <laughs> everything but she is really good at it and they're this they're this um yeah the the detectives tasked with kind of tracking them down there's like a weird plot where they're like in a love affair or they've been on an awkward date yeah. or something they've had like an awkward one night stand or something um but you never really get to the nitty-gritty of it which from it didn't quite work for me it's kind of like hinted at but it never really goes and i don't know it's kind of like a weird maybe in the second if there's a second season it'll it'll get have more um more thorough exploration and it'll, they'll pull it off um but yeah so it's it's this weird mi mix of genres and shows and tones um but i think it just works really well and i think the two leads alex lawther and jessica barden are just so so good yeah it, i think a lot of it hangs on their performances and let, we won't give away exactly how it ends but they definitely could make a second series if yeah, they wanted to but definitely. i don't think it has been confirmed for one yet um i saw a piece on vulture the other day basically saying like these are all the questions we have if it doesn't have a second series mm -hmm. so there's plenty of material there yeah yeah i'm i would love to have a second series it's great definitely check it out it's all on um, both all four the new 4og and netflix so yeah you have your options for ways to watch it so do check it out so now we're going to talk about Crife, which is a Welsh crime drama, murder, detective, police drama set in Snowdonia in Wales. And it's all in Welsh language. So we watched it with English subtitles on the S4C website. Well, that's how I watched it. I assume you did the same, Caroline. I watched it on iPlayer. Oh, it's yeah, on iPlayer. It's also, oh, I, yeah, it's also on that iPlayer. That would have been yeah. easier. I spent ages navigating the bloody S4C <laughs> player and it's rubbish. <laughs> no, it's just on iPlayer. Oh, I don't know why I couldn't find that. Okay, well, that's what I'm doing from now. That makes it easier. Yeah, so it's very dark, very bleak in this amazing, very, very rural Welsh landscape. And then it's kind of, I mean, 
I've watched the first episode, it just begins as a very traditional crime drama about a missing a girl who's been missing for 10 years whose body sort of finally turns up Mm. and you've kind of got this it's it's kind of a classic like female detective who seems like perhaps a little overworked a little emotionally shut off and a little obsessed with kind of solving the case that she's working on right yeah you know she's got some stuff going on with her dad who seems to be ill and her sisters and you know later on in the first episode we get this hint that she's recently quit another job and moved back home to be near her dad so she's sort of um maybe i think possibly given up maybe a better job in a bigger city Mm. to come back and work in this really rural area because there is a little bit of like frustration about her when she's starting to work on the case there's a little bit of like eye rolling when she's like yeah no i do need you to bring all those files yeah in a kind of I am a proper detective. I will do all the work, that kind mm. of thing. But yeah, she has a partner, a work partner who's got some stuff going on with his own personal life. She talks to him a bit about like how he feels about his wife being pregnant. And so mm. I think that's something that's going to go somewhere as well. Mm. All the traditional elements are there. You know, I was the whole time I was thinking like, oh, this bit's a bit like Silent Witness. Yeah, this bit's there is kind a of a Silent like, Witness um, vibe. Mm. I think it's quite heavily influenced by the sort of big scandinavian totally dramas as well like the killing and the bridge and so on definitely because you know all of those have a female detective Mm. protagonist Mm. and also also actually wallander made me think of i don't know if you ever watched that the so that was a swedish it was a series of swedish novels um that were made into hugely popular swedish tv programs and then they the bbc remade them with kenneth branner as wallander is the name of the detective and the remake has this incredible focus on landscape and nature did um, they change it to a british setting or no no it was it was this odd thing where like he is swedish we are in sweden but everyone talks english right yeah classic if you know what i mean um so it was still the the swedish landscape um and the cinematography in it was really really good um i actually didn't I wasn't that compelled by the story and I wasn't that compelled by the central character, but I watched all of it just because I really liked looking at all the fields and the fjords. Yeah, it kind of weirdly Um, reminded me of, and this is kind of a silly comparison, but the Black Mirror recently that was set in kind of mm, um, Icelandic kind of um, setting, but everyone had like Liverpudlian accents. Um, Yes. It was kind of, because, because the Snowdonia landscape is kind of so incredibly harsh and like ragged and i think they've kind of colorized this with some quite blue tones um it it does look kind of otherworldly in lots of ways and so it's kind of disorienting and it just i think i think it kind of emphasizes a lot of the time how you know when whenever there's a case in a tv show where it's like this person's actually been alive for the past 10 years but is now you know now something's happened Mm. to her we found her body I think the 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 isolation of a lot of the sets helps you understand how someone could be missing for 10 years whereas if yes. it was like set in you know if it was Luther and someone's been missing for 10 years and kept in a little flat somewhere you'd just think hang on this couldn't how could this possibly I'm sure I mean I'm sure it does happen very occasionally but you just it kind of makes more sense in this setting to me Yes, well, like, what was that show that was made in the Southwest that we watched a while ago? Was it 13, it was yeah. called? Yeah, that in one, Br- was that I in felt... Bristol? That was in Bristol. I felt that was slightly on the edge of believability that, like, 
a missing girl and especially like a missing middle class white girl could be just missing and be in Bristol the whole time for that long was whereas yeah I do find it much more believable that someone could just be missing in the mid heart of rural Wales and that you know the police presence crime generally is not that common there the police presence is not that great they just don't have the resources to like search every inch of the huge mountain you know she could be anywhere and i actually when when that 13 piece came out i did kind of like a a a look at um all these because that was you know during the same time as room and 10 cloverfield lane Mm. and loads of these other and kimmy schmidt all these other things that were all about oh she's been missing for 10 years and she's finally turned up and there's actually no comparable case of that ever happening in the uk um so it's funny that i mean we have a couple of these cases in you know obviously we know about fritzel and we know about you know a couple of cases that really made international headlines and they've obviously been very influential but normally when someone's missing for that amount of time they're not they're not coming back you know so it's interesting yes it's interesting in this case that she was missing for this amount of time but only just dead yeah, if you know exactly. what I mean. so she doesn't turn up alive she is still so dead so that's the but... key question of the of yeah. the of the mystery and i don't really know where they're going to go with it actually but it's it's really it's really dark and it was really it was really great to watch something in the welsh language as well which was why we kind of picked this mm. because for for a, for a, like an entire language and you know it's i think it's like 20% of people in wales still speak welsh so it's a it's a big um you know community of welsh speakers i know nothing about the welsh language and so it's funny that to think that it's so near i mean especially cuz i grew up kind of near wales mm. that it's kind of so feels so distant and remote when it's just not really at all and you've been in Wales this this weekend haven't you yeah just by total coincidence um I watched this this weekend whilst on a little holiday in Wales actually in the area that this was filmed in and is set and yeah 100% totally believable that uh you know something could someone could go missing and undetected for so long because what like for instance it's just so dark there mm. at night i know that sounds well bizarre, that's the countryside but, for you isn't it but like not even just normal countryside i feel like because we were staying in this pub on the edge of a river we could see maybe two houses on the other side of the river and that was it there were no mm. other buildings no street lights it was incredibly dark mm. my dog was really scared oh, he's, he's a suburban dog <laughs> He's a suburban dog. He's not used to be it being totally dark. He refused to walk in the dark. Bless him. Um, you know, just even that made me realise that, like, yeah, if you were trying to find somebody here, it would be near impossible. Um, but and also just like I, I went to the library yesterday to do some work, and everyone in there was speaking Welsh. Mm. Half the books were in Welsh. Uh, you know, it's obviously a big like national project for them. They've made all their road signs bilingual. Everyone learns Welsh at school. Yeah, school. And so the, on. the Welsh language in schools is massive, isn't it? So, but I do think that, yeah, generally it's maybe. I'm sure it's not culturally underrepresented in Wales, but it it doesn't like penetrate into England and English speaking culture mm, very much. Mm. So yeah, that was really cool, and I think I think I will keep up with it actually because it's me too. It's just a really I'm really compelled yeah, by it, and I just I want to know what happens. So <laughs> I think mm. I will. Yeah, it's not a hugely innovative. No, like I didn't watch it and go like this is a format I've never encountered before. Lots, as we've said, lots of it is comparable to other things, but I so far I just think it's a really good version yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So what about for next week, Caroline? So for next week, we are going to dip our hand into the lucky dip that is an amazing email from Carol who interestingly she says she's a long-time listener who first discovered the podcast because of scum um oh. and that we should totally do a special about it Ugh, i would love to she sent this um incredibly long list of things that she would like to hear us talk about so from that we have chosen over the garden wall which i've never heard of before but carol writes it's an animated miniseries from cartoon network it has Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky. It's about two brothers who are lost in the woods, trying to get home and wandering through strange towns as they do. Mm. The super autumnal Americana tinged with rustic old songs and plenty of creepiness. That sounds amazing. So, it sounds so weird. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds so weird and like the kind of thing that I would never encounter like naturally. How on earth would I come across like a Cartoon Network miniseries? Yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited to try it out. Me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.